Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and Greek Super League football. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambros Sirmos and a couple surprises for today. Uh, unfortunately, we're missing Adi, so he is being replaced by our super sub, Vimo George. And we have our special guest for the day. Uh, you may know him as Mesartic on Reddit. His real name is Chris, and uh, he'll be joining us to talk about the UEFA coefficients for Greece. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for coming on. We've got a lot of stuff to get into, obviously. This is, I think, the first podcast that we've done after the transfer window has closed. So we do have some final deadline day deals to report on. Chris is an Ike supporter. They did some business late in the window. So we'll be asking him about some of those moves as well. Before I get into all that stuff, I do want to make a few announcements about the pod. We have some special guests coming up that you may be familiar with, but to recap, on Sunday, October 11th, we will be joined by a correspondent from Olympiakos, France. On Wednesday, October 14th, we will be joined by Agonasport and Hellas football contributor Greg Gavalas. Greg is an Ike supporter. He'll be our first non-Olympiakos guest on the midweek soccer series besides Chris. And he does the famous forward reviews of the Greek Super League weekend matches. On Sunday, October 18th, we will be having on Konstantin Levoyanis for the second time. He is, of course, from Olympiakos EU. And we will also be joined with a correspondent from Marseille, who you can follow at Mohamed Ali underscore 93. He'll be on to talk pre-match analysis with the Marseille game, which will be happening shortly after that. On October 21st, we will be having episode nine of the midweek series with Michael Vicini, who you can follow on Twitter at Michael underscore Vicini with two S's. Michael is another writer for Hellas Football and he is a Larissa supporter. So that will be an interesting one. On Sunday, October 25th, the last special guest we have scheduled for the moment, we will be having on Theo Buras from Agona Sport. He's an Olympiakos correspondent who's written all sorts of articles commenting on various issues related to the club. We would also like to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International is not just a one-stop shop for all importing and exporting needs to Greece, but they are also a source for all 220-volt appliances and electronics. For those who may not know, most countries outside of the U.S. or Canada use a different electrical system. So if you're moving overseas and want to bring the quality American appliances you're used to, reach out to Piraeus International. They work alongside a network of retailers across the country that specialize in appliances that work in Greece or other European countries. Check them out at www.piraeusintl.com, spelled like the port in Greece, or give them a call at 410-675-4696. And now heading into some quick transfer news that I'm just going to run through very quickly. With regards to Greek internationals, uh, young defender Panayotis Retsos has been loaned out again by Bayer Leverkusen to the French side Saint-Étienne with a 6.5 million euro buyout option. Hopefully Retsos can get some time there and maybe we will see him coming back to Olympiakos soon. Hopefully we can speak that into existence. Speaking of Olympiakos, a couple quick hits. Our young defender Svetozar Markovic has officially been loaned back to Partizan, the club from which we originally purchased him. Additionally, Stefanos Evangelou, the 22-year-old center back, 
has joined Gornik Zabrze in Poland. I believe that's the same club where Yanis Masuras has been loaned out. Evangelou, it was officially it was initially reported that he was being loaned out, but Olympiakos has severed his contract and now he's been signed by them. Heading over to Thessaloniki with Pauk, they have sold their captain Pelkas to Fenerbahce in Turkey. It's a 1.5 million euro deal with a 20% sell-on clause. They're interested in bringing back Mauricio, who was with the team last year. He is currently a free agent. They have announced the signing of 25-year-old winger Thomas Murg from Rapid Vienna. And Cristo Gonzalez, a forward from Udinese in Italy, has been signed on loan for the season. Now heading into Ike, who have been pretty active over the transfer window with the signing of Muammer Tankovic, the 25-year-old player from Hammarby, which, which is, I believe, in Sweden on a four-year deal. He was under contract until 2022 in Sweden. He had a clause where he can leave a team as a free agent if he receives a satisfactory offer from abroad. I guess that would be satisfactory from Ike then. They've also signed a 24-year-old center back from Russia. I believe he's a Romanian player, and his name is Ionuts Nedel Saru. Uh, that's an interesting one as well. And they're in discussions with Cagliari in Italy for 23-year-old Bulgarian winger Kirill Despodov, which after the injury to Levi Garcia might be looked at as an emergency replacement. After signing Bright Inobakare from Wolves in the summer, they have unfortunately terminated his contract due to disciplinary offenses. I don't really know what's going on there, but probably not great. He just got signed. And uh, that's about it for Ike. So, Chris, what are your thoughts on those transfers? Some uh, some nice deals, maybe some some weird news yeah. with, with that, that uh, release of Bright. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say everything was um, reliant upon the result versus Wolfsburg for the Europa League playoffs. I mean, the transfer strategy was very affected by that. And we won, so that's good. <laughs> that's positive. So we badly needed another centre-back because we're going to play Thursdays and then Sundays and then Thursdays again. Yeah, It's two games a week. That's very tough, especially when you have four centre-backs. One of which is Jekwinski, who is very injury-prone. Mm -hmm. And the other one is Varnas, who is... Okay, I guess. Hnid as well. And Lati, who is 18 years old from Bosnia, hasn't really been tested right. so far. So we needed one there. And we got the Romanian centre-back, which I can't pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> for I didn't really do that, do that well, with that, to be fair. <laughs> um, so we got that. That was positive. And then on Sunday, Levi Garcia got injured. And Levi Garcia is one of the... I can say one of the best players I've seen for Ajax in a long, long time. I think after Skoko, he must be, he's amazing. He can, he's great in one-on-ones. On -on he can pass anyone. He didn't have any trouble against Bundesliga defense like Wolfsburg. And him getting injured and him getting injured for like, I think it was eight weeks. That was tough. That meant we were again on the market for another winger, and it was like deadline day, so it was very hectic up until the last minute. And we signed Tankovic, who is a very good winger for the Swedish league. I think his stats there are amazing, was something like 12 goals last season. Oh, nice from a winger position, that's pretty good. Yeah, I think. I, I have a question about this Bright and and Nobakar situation. So 
I read that him and Carrera got in a fight or there was something. Can you explain what I know he had had disciplinary problems in England and that's why the Wolves actually, I think, cut him loose on a free free transfer, but I didn't hear exactly why he was released. It's been only like three or four months, right? Yeah, I, I don't think there has been an exact reason, but I think he has caused some problems within the team. And he, after he got released, he said on Instagram that he was not getting paid for like three months, which was obviously a lie. And he had, it's a funny story actually, he had to say that his, his cousin got his phone and texted that he, he wasn't getting paid. And he didn't send that text. And that, that was a pretty funny The story. classic excuse. Oh, my no, account was hacked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my little cousin got the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think it happens a lot, though, when foreign players come from England, even if they're not playing a lot in England, they kind of expect to just like tear it up in Greece. And it's oftentimes not as easy. And then they just get upset and, you know, believe that they should get more playing time or whatever, even if they haven't earned it. Yeah, we've seen that with even bigger players like Michael Estian, who came super overweight, Yaya Toure, and then Ike famously had that central half, the English international was Julian Lescott. Do you remember him? Yeah. yeah he, he played for like a few months, and then he left as well on a free, I think. So I don't know. Sometimes it's... But, but, but this guy, Bright, was doing pretty well, is what I heard in England, and was actually like an exciting player, but he definitely has issues, so... We'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, he was good for... He played one game and scored one goal, so that's that's his career for Ark Dan. One game, one goal. <laughs> that's that's pretty legendary. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Could be worse. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting. Um, and we'll talk more about Ike's potential for Europe later, but obviously it's a really good thing that they won and they were able to, to go and actually make some signings, obviously. Sometimes deadline day, you just end up coming up empty, so... That depth is really important. But moving on to some other clubs in Greece, we'll quickly talk about Adis, who have signed Zande Silva on loan from West Ham. He is 23 years old, didn't get a lot of time in England. He's an attacking player, so maybe he'll be able to make it at Adis. They've also signed Johan Benaluan, a 33-year-old defender from Nottingham Forest, who also wasn't really playing that much in the championship. Atromitos have gotten... Boyan Matic, a 28-year-old forward from Partizan for a one-year loan with a buyout option. And Panionios have announced Yanis Maniatis, former Olympiacos player, as their new manager. And he is, of course, was bought by Olympiacos from Panionios as a fullback and then eventually moved over to midfield, one of the more versatile players for Olympiacos and Greece. Yeah, Peter, uh, we've been talking a lot about Panionios, actually, like on our news segment, even though they're not a first division club, which is pretty funny. And this news of Maniatis, I guess, becoming the manager is quite crazy. I think Adi sent me the the article and I, I asked him, like, is he going to be the player coach? Is he going to play too? Because he's, <laughs> like he was he just playing for them in the he first division. Like, yeah, he could. He, what is he like? 33, 34 years not old. He could old. still play, I guess. You could get... Uh, I get. I don't know. Savelas could come back too. I don't know. It could just be a group of players. Well, Savelas is currently <laughs> playing for the Greek national team. But same quality <laughs> level. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm personally I'm excited that he's getting to the coaching game because I miss desperately his death stare at the refs and when he's not getting calls while he's on the field. So hopefully we get a little bit of that when he's uh, when he's uh, coming on the sidelines as coach. So. 
any oh, any magnates I'm fired up for. It's gonna take we'll them like to... four years to get them back from uh, from the <laughs> the third division. Now they're in. We'll have to be tuned the... in. So it'll take some time. The football but we'll league. See. Well, going back to the first division, we do have uh, just a quick recap of the results from this weekend. Panathinaikos and Asteras Tripolis draw one one. Adis beat Panathinaikos in Athens one nil. Apollon Smyrnis win their first game of the Super League this year. Their first match played, actually. They beat Larissa 1-0. Pauk beat Ofi 3-0 pretty handily. We discussed Yanina and Olympiakos drawing 1-1, a rather unfortunate result for us. And also unfortunate for Ike losing 1-0 to Atromitos and losing Levi Garcia, who, as we've talked about, is a very good player. And Volos beat Lamia 2-1 in the weekend fixture. With that being said, let's head over to Europe. So obviously that is, you know, a big focus of our midweek series. A lot of times how the Greek clubs are doing in Europe. How is the club coefficient going? And we've shouted out Chris many, many times for the work that he's done on Reddit to put that together. Um, It obviously makes our jobs a lot easier on the podcast and helps a lot of people understand sort of why all these games are so important for Greece. So we've talked about it before, Chris, the, the, the club coefficient. Um, but I kind of want to hear your side of it. Obviously, this is something that you clearly know a lot about and have decided to to write about on Reddit a lot. So what sort of inspired you to uh, to start doing that? I always liked the, the idea of Greek clubs playing, playing in Europe. I always liked watching the games, like watching teams like Aris or Panionios or even Panathinaikos or Olympiakos, Ayak and Pauk do big stuff in Europe, get big wins away. And since I discovered the coefficient rankings, I saw that there was a direct correlation between our place in the rankings and how well we will do in Europe. So in back in the 2000s, we were sixth or seventh or eighth. Yeah. We were getting two teams in the Champions League group stages and six teams in Europe in general. And I always like to see how far we can climb again. And personally for Ajax too, it was, I want to see how much of a benefit we could get from the coefficient. Yeah, and I think one thing, uh, obviously having grown up in North America, um, it's, it's harder to get access to Greek Super League games. And so to watch Greek football, a lot of times you're forced to watch the European games. And having that exposure for Greece, I think is really important. Obviously, as someone who's not Greek and, and likes to see Greek football sort of be broadcasted, not just to Greek people in the in, across the world, but to everyone else, it's nice to see more teams in Europe because it just gives that much more exposure. You know, I think we've seen even this year in the qualifiers, Ike beating a big name team like Wolfsburg in Germany is like a really nice result. And Pauk beating Benfica in the Champions League qualification. Like those are big teams that are well-recognized and having Greek teams win those games is really good. Now we've explained it before. We've maybe not explained it super well. So I was wondering, Chris, if you could just take us through how the coefficient works. How do countries get points? Obviously it's on a game by game basis. And what do the rankings mean? Like what, what happens if Greece goes up in the rankings for the coefficient? So the coefficient rankings is a table a table made of uh, UEFA countries and their position in the rankings determine their European spots for their leagues. So, for example, we are now 18th 
that means that if we finish 18th this season, the not not this season, the, the season after that, we will have four teams in Europe. And that means, for example, for 18th, it means one team in the Champions League uh, first qualifying round and three teams in the new Conference League qualifying rounds. Right. If we make it to 15th and upwards, we gain a spot. We have five teams in Europe and two teams in the Champions League. If we make it to 12th, we have one team going directly, our champion going directly to the Champions League group stages. So that that's why it's very important, the coefficient. It determines where our teams qualify in Europe based on the rankings. Right. And we had five teams in this year. Uh, Olympiakos, Aik, Pauk, Ofi, and Aris all made it to at least the qualifying rounds. Now that reflects coefficient results from previous years, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, the past five seasons count. So what we're seeing now, like, if, for example, we now have 23.4 points. That's the sum of our past five seasons combined. Yeah, and so for the coefficient ranking, though, to be clear, won't affect next season. So for next season, we'll only have one team in Champions League qualifying. Yeah, this season is locked. Like, the European spots for this season, they are locked. Like, the first, first four teams in the Greek Super League qualify for Europe. So that's that's why this is so important, because this could be... This was our last chance to kind of have all these teams in qualifying rounds, because the next summer we knew would be a very difficult one, right? That... It's kind of why this summer was seen as the crucial one, right? Yeah, that's true. But also, when you have four spots, your points are divided by four and not five. So each win gets you more points and enjoy. Yeah, I actually, I think that's a really key point um, because we're competing for the coefficient with teams that only have four teams in right now. Um, so as you alluded to, every time... Uh, a, a team gets any result in a European game, they get a specific amount of points. So for the group stages, like now for the Europa League and the Champions League group stages, uh, it's two points for a win, one point for a draw. And those two points are divided by the number of teams the country has in Europe. We have five teams in Europe, we have five spots. So two points divided by five, it's 0 0.4 whenever a Greek team gets a win. And one divided by five, it's 0 0.2 for a draw. Four team countries, like countries that have four teams, like Denmark, Cyprus, Serbia, Switzerland, their points are divided by four. So each win gets them two divided by four, 0 0.5 points instead of 0 0.4. Right. So there's more points there. And just to be clear to the listeners, um... Even if a team has been eliminated, the, the number that you're dividing by doesn't change. So, for example, Greece only have three teams left in Europe, but because five teams made the qualifiers, the results are still divided by five throughout the, the competition. And if I'm not mistaken, the results in the qualifying rounds, which we've been watching for the last few weeks, they result in, uh, they also give you points, but it's less points than a group stage result. It's exactly half. Okay. Normally, but because because of COVID nineteen, we had some um, qualifying rounds that were one game only. Like all the Europa League qualifiers were one game only, so we had some adjusted points for those. Looking at the current situation, as you mentioned, Greece are on twenty three point four 
coefficient points uh, from the last five years. That puts us in 18th right now, which is obviously a far cry from the 2000s and whatnot when uh, Greece were, you know, from in sixth to eighth, as you mentioned. The teams that we are chasing right now, in 17th place, we have Switzerland, the, the current home of Arvaron Lambro Sirmos, who are on 23.475. They just barely overtook us. We were 17th for a minute there, but they have jumped right back into the 17th spot. The good news for Switzerland, I believe, is that they only have one team left in Europe, and that's Young Boys. So Greece have three teams, Switzerland have one. There's a chance that in, in a whole, Greece may be able to pick up more points at the end of the day. 16th is Serbia. They're on 24.25 points. They've got one team left, and that's Red Star, who are in Europa League. Obviously a team that Olympiacos have a good relationship with. In 15th, Cyprus. They're on 27 points. Now, as Chris mentioned, 15th is where we want to be. And not to sound hateful or anything, but it would it's kind of surprising to me and a bit embarrassing that Cyprus are ahead of Greece in the coefficient. Obviously, just because Greece is such a, a bigger country with more resources. No disrespect to Cyprus. But they've got one team left, and that's Omonia, who Olympiakos beat and sent to Europa League. Hopefully, maybe with some good luck, we can actually jump ahead of Cyprus as well. And then in 14th, just ahead of Cyprus, is Denmark, who have one team left, and that would be Michiland, who are in the Champions League Group D. They're on 27.375. Yeah, Peter, I would just say about Cyprus, I feel like Greece has really dropped off ever since Panathinaikos have dropped off the European scene and the owners kind of cut off money to the club. With the with the qualifiers we just saw recently, the two the two other teams, Ophi and Aris, they're they're two historically big Greek clubs, but they're very recently in the second division of Greece. They're they've only recently gotten bigger and gotten more money pumped into them. So with with one of Greece's biggest clubs, some would some some would argue one of the two biggest clubs in Greece with Olympiakos, it's really difficult to see how it's or it's it's hard to not see how the coefficient dropped. Um, I remember even back in 2015, if we're looking five years back, they did end up in the Europa League group stage. And I remember a lot in the summer, you'd always see them qualifying and they would do decently well, but Marcus Berg would always have to bail them out if I remember correctly. But yeah, so with Panathinaikos gone, you know, it's been it's been difficult for Greece and we've seen the the coefficient slide for sure. Yeah, it's obviously nice, of course, when Panathinaikos and Olympiakos were really two big teams at the top, really both competing and both having the potential to make runs in Champions League. Now, I do briefly want to mention um, the teams that we briefly said, which honestly we'll be rooting sort of against with Greece in our interests. Young boys are in a group, Europa League Group A, with Roma, so that's Vimo's team, and then Ceska Sofia and CFR Cluj in Romania. I don't know too much about these clubs other than the fact that Roma probably are the favorites to win that group, but I, as far as I'm concerned, I know CFR Cluj are typically in Europe, so maybe they have a run in them as well. Heading to Red Star, they are in a group with Liberec, Ghent, and Hoffenheim. Hoffenheim uh, off to a decent start in Germany. Ghent, pretty decently big club in Belgium. That's another interesting one. We'll have to see where it goes. Um, I'm not really sure who will get out of that group. But the thing with Europa League is all these clubs, I feel, are, are pretty uh, competitive. And anything could really happen aside from, you know, you get a big English club or something 
Chris, do you have any thoughts on sort of those groups? I don't know how, how much you've looked at them um, in terms of what you think the, the Serbian and Danish and Swiss teams have a shot. Yeah, I think the Europa League groups can be a bit deceiving at times because sometimes some teams that you would think would do well, they do very badly. And some teams that you think would be pushovers, they end up getting wins and getting points. So I have no idea how this will play out. For example, I mean, you could look at Group L, the Red Star group. You could look at Hoffenheim and you could see them winning almost every game. But you could also see them struggling and maybe placing more importance in Bundesliga games right. instead of Europa League nights. So that's that's something we got to look out for. Yeah, and just to jump in, a lot of times I think it's going to be interesting with coronavirus now. I know, one, the schedule is more condensed, so the games will happen. I think it's not going to be every other week, but it's going to be almost every week for the first few. And also with coronavirus, there's going to be no fans to less fans in the stadium. Sometimes the atmosphere for the smaller teams is, is quite good. Like for Red Star is one of the most feared away games for bigger teams in Europe, I know. And it's going to be, I guess, easier maybe for bigger teams to go to these countries and not face hostile crowds and hostile environments. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. Maybe home field isn't as important anymore. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's something I really worry about for Greece as well. Obviously, Greek atmospheres are so tough for these away teams to play in. But it does also, yeah, we've seen Serbia has, a, or the Serbian teams have a really nice atmosphere. And, and obviously, they won't be having that. Now, moving on to the groups that we're really interested in, uh, the groups that have Greek teams in them. We'll start off with Europa League and Ike. They got Leicester City from England, which is obviously one of the more feared teams in the competition. They also got Braga from Portugal. Now, this is a team that once had Ahmed Hassan on their team. Oh, God. So can maybe they they're not back? that big of a deal. Can maybe uh, maybe I can handle them. They can have him. They can have him. They can have <laughs> Hassan. We will happily take him back and dress him ready for the Ike game. He'll give his heart out and... He always he always scores BS 88th minute goals against Ike though so maybe we don't want him May, on Braga. Okay that's a good point. But uh the, the the fourth team rounding out that group is Zorya Luhansk from Ukraine. So Chris the way the way I see this and obviously you're right in that you know these goal these groups can anything can happen uh you know some teams don't really value it and they don't really show up. I think still Leicester will probably end up winning this group but I think Ike have a decent shot at second really. Uh, I think they can handle Braga Braga or not a top tier team in Portugal. And I think the, this Ukrainian team could probably be handled pretty well. It's certainly not a team I'm super familiar with, but what are your thoughts about the group? Were you excited as an Ike fan when you got the draw or were you a bit nervous? I was excited at the prospect of facing Leicester City. I think that's always fun facing English teams in Europe. Yes. Braga was, I expected something easier than Braga. I didn't like that draw there because I think Portuguese teams do well in the Europa League mm -hmm. and Braga also do well most of the time. So that's a bit tricky there. And I have no idea if we can do the work against the Ukrainian side home and away. have no idea. We might end up drawing, drawing both or losing one. So it's going to be tricky. But I think we can fight for second place with Braga. And I want to ask you, how much, how much confidence do you have in, in the coach 
um, in getting things done because he, he has a, de a decent record in Europe with Spartak Moscow, I believe, if I remember correctly. He's, so he, he, he has some experience. What, what do you think about him? I think the, the manager, Cabrera, is pretty good. I have faith in him. I think he can pull a couple tricks, do good things. But I have no idea about the experience in Europe. I knew he was a Spartak Moscow manager. I knew he won the league with them. I don't know if he was doing well in Europe. But he did well with Ike so far. We beat Wolfsburg. We beat St. Gallen, even though we were worse. So that's good. That's good enough. Yeah, so far so good. And I just looked into Braga's results from last year. They actually won the group with Wolves in it in Europa League last year, um, which is a nice result. And then went out in the first round of the qualifying before the lockdown to Rangers. Um, and I think it was 4-2 on aggregate. Uh, so reasonably competitive for Braga, but, you know, things change in the new year. And I think Ike have actually made some really nice additions to their team. I think they've got a lot of really good depth in the squad. And we've seen what they've done in the qualifiers. They're riding that momentum. So, yeah, I think they're they're going to fight for second. And I think it would be really good for Greece if they could get through and I think if they get the momentum to get through and get in the uh, the round of 32, who knows what can happen. That being said, let's move on to the other Europa League group we're interested in, the one that contains Pauk. Obviously, we talked about how Pauk have made some transfers. They've also made a lot of sales. Their Champions League quest came to an unfortunate end against Krasnodar. And I think they basically, between the debt that had uh, affected the club and just the fact that they weren't going to be playing Champions League football, they made a lot of sales. However, they have replaced some players, so we'll see what they, they do. They have been put in a group with PSV Eindhoven from the Netherlands, Granada from Spain, and Omonia from Cyprus, who we are familiar with as Olympiacos fans. Now, one thing we were thinking of, Chris, uh, because as you mentioned, group stage games are all worth the same in terms of the coefficient. So do you think it's maybe, for the sake of the coefficient, do you think it's maybe a good thing that Pauk have gotten in the Europa League as they'll probably be able to accumulate more points in the group stage of the Europa League rather than Champions League? Yeah, that's, the, that's a question that a lot of people ask a lot of the time. And to be honest, the answer is yes and no. Because when you get to the Champions League group stages, you get four points as a bonus. Uh, so that's 0 0.8 for us. Like, for example, when Olympiacos beat Omonia, they got uh, 0 0.8 points for us. That was pretty big. That was yeah, yeah. that can go a, lot, a, lot, a long way for us. So if they made the group stages, we would have gotten more points now. But maybe down the line, if they, have, if they, if they had a bad draw, maybe they would get no points from that point onwards. Whereas now they might get some points in just Ammonia and Granada. It, it all depends on how they do in the Europa League. Sometimes they're, they're really good, Pauk. They get some great games. And sometimes, like with VD, they, they, the season they won the league, they gain like a win. And that's it. So hopefully they can get us a lot of points. Yeah, I was quickly trying to jot down the math based on what you were telling us. And it seems like so if they would have gotten 0.8 points for our coefficient by just getting into Champions League, that means in Europa League, they need to either get two wins, which would be 0.4 a pop, or some combination of 
wins and draws that would get us over that 0.8 number in order for it to actually be to our benefit. So I guess looking at the group, I wouldn't say it's cut and dry how how they're going to do, but yeah, I guess let's, let's hope for the sake of the coefficient that they can, they can get some results against these guys because there's 0.4 times six points on the table for them. So let's see what they can do. And I know, I know Pauk fans who listen to these midweek shorts hate me so much because I talk so much trash about Pauk. But they just sold their captain for under 2 million euros. And I, I, we'll, we'll see how they do. I doubt it's going to go well. I still, as Chris mentioned, that year when they won the league, what was it Bate Borislav or I don't even remember who Chelsea was. were they in their group. Chelsea beat them like 13-0 on aggregate in over the two games. Bate Borislav beat them like 6-1 over aggregate. It's it's not looking good. It's it's never looking good in Europe with Pauk, I feel, but we'll we'll see. We'll see how they do. I love how you say, I know Pauk fans are going to hate me, and then just talk even more crap on Pauk. <laughs> but um, I know I it mean, and this is how I'll guarantee it. <laughs> no, I just I I just I I think they're just okay. So it, it's well known that Olympiakos and Pauk have problems, but just just as neutral as one can be looking how Pauk is run. I actually read an article on Sport 24 by uh, the the managing editor. I think his name's Themis. I forget his last name. Kesaris. Kesaris. Yes. So he wrote an article about Paukas this week and him leaving Pauk. And he wrote, actually, there was an interesting paragraph where he said, Pauk really do not know how to sell football players. And I, I just I, I was like, why have this is perfectly said? They had an offer from Fenerbahce two years ago for Pelkas for five and a half million euros. For, fast forward two years and they sell him for one point five. They had Akpom on the last year of his contract. They let Maurizio run his contract out. They let Villarinha run his contract out. The club just isn't run very well from a neutral perspective. That's all I'm gonna say. And that's why they do poorly in Europe a lot of times. It's just it's just the truth. Well, we wish them the best for Greece. We need, we would like them to win. That being said, let's move to the Champions League Group C, I believe it is, with Olympiakos in it. Now, last weekend, we did talk at length about this group. We've got Marseille, we've got Manchester City, we've got Porto. What we agreed on last week, uh, Lambro, Adi, and I, is that this group gives us a better chance at second place than uh, we had last season, but it also gives us a better chance at fourth. Because there's there's more solid teams, but also teams that we can beat. Chris, what do you think about this? I know you're not an Olympiakos fan, but obviously I, I assume you want to see Greek teams do well in Europe. Um, so what are your thoughts of, of that group in terms of how far you think Olympiakos can go and, and what you think might happen? If I was an Olympiakos fan, I would be really happy at this group. You see Manchester City there. They're good, of course. They're a world-class team. But they can be beaten, I think, even by Olympiacos. I think on a good day, they might beat them. They haven't started the season well. You see Marseille and Porto. They're not that much better than Olympiacos. I don't think so. I think they can be beaten home and away 
I'm talking about the possibility, of course. I'm not saying it will, it will happen. I'm saying it might happen. And I think uh, a path to second place is wide open. Last season, you had Bayern Munich and Tottenham. And you see those two and you say, OK, that the goal is finishing third. We might fight for second, but third is exactly. where, yeah. we, where we belong. Now you're saying second is wide open. Anything can happen. Yeah, I agree completely. And with with no fans in the stadium, okay. Or it, it's still, we have to, I guess UEFA has approved that maybe some fans can come in and it's up to the governments of individual countries. I doubt the Greek government will let fans into the game. They haven't let any fans into the Super League games. But again, with, with no fans in the stadium, it'll be interesting too going to one Marseille and two Porto who have decent atmospheres and... I guess Marseille have a pretty big ultra group. They have a big following here in Geneva and Switzerland, actually. Um, so again, I, I, I don't know how this no fans thing will, will play out. And I know it's going to hurt us playing our home matches because historically we're quite strong at home. But recently, I, w I would argue that the home field advantage that we used to have maybe just five years ago is not the same thing. We, we've, we've done well on the road in Europe recently as well so we'll we'll see how it goes with the no fans again but i agree completely the group is open so with that being said we we sort of went through all of the greek teams as well as all the teams that as greek fans we kind of want to lose i don't think we mentioned also i think it's croatia and the czech republic i don't know if they have any teams in but i think those are the two teams who are right behind us right chris yeah it's croatia and the czech republic croatia have two teams left they have uh, dinamo zagreb and rieka Okay. And the Czech Republic have three teams. And that's a bit concerning. That they is. have Victoria Pleasen, Slovan Liberets, and Slavia Prague, all in the Europa League. They could get some points. But the, the thing with coefficient is we should be aiming at 15th. We should be caring what 14th and 15th place teams do. Not so much what's behind us because there is no difference being 18th to being 20th. There's a slight difference from 17th to 18th, but it's, it's not much. 15th is the real big difference. So with that being said, do you think we have a shot at securing 15th in the near future based on sort of the landscape of the clubs right now, whether it's this year or, or moving forward? I don't think we can make it this season. I think next season onwards, we might make it because you can see the gap to Cyprus is 3.6 points already. And that's assuming that Ammonia don't get any more points than that. They're only the 3.6 points ahead of us. Right. I don't see us getting that many points. I think we can get on a good season. I think we can get 3.5 more points than from now on. And I think it will be tight, but I don't think there's a possibility this season. But we could set the ground for next season. So next season, we will be at a much better starting point to do this. Yeah, I agree. I think we have to be sort of looking further forward in the future, but hopefully we can just get back up to 15th and slowly start building our way up to where Greece used to be. Now, speaking of Greece in general, uh, there was a friendly match that took place today between the Greek national team and Austria. International break has took uh, commenced this week and will be going on for the next week or so Greece lost two to one um, obviously it's just a friendly but you know there were some interesting decisions made in terms of the lineup and the management and I think Vimo has a lot of thoughts on this game so I'm just gonna let him go um definitely having like a 
half hour to an hour to kind of sit and think about it. You're definitely right. It is an international friendly. So I think now it's not whether or not we won or lost or how we won or lost. It's more so what happened on the field and what can we learn from what happened on the field. So there were a lot of, I think there were two or three formation changes that came with a bunch of different substitutions. And that ended up giving us a lot of different looks at different players that were kind of shifting a lot. I know one player that comes to mind for me was how Buhalakis played as the game progressed. So starting out, he was playing in a 4-2-3-1 in the double pivot alongside Curbelis. And the two of them, they had flashes of good things they were doing. There were kind of flashes where they looked a little shaky. I don't know how good of a fit they are as like a defensive midfield partnership. But for me, I think there was a lot to learn about that. And then what was most interesting was I think when we switched to a five-man back line, Buchalakis ended up becoming the lone DM with Zeka and who was the left back that, was, that started at left back that ended up moving in? It was uh, Kiriakopoulos. Yeah, yeah. He ended up joining the midfield when we went to a five-man back line. And I think that's when Buchalakis looked his strongest. He was doing a very good job of taking the pressure from Austria when we would win the ball and working the ball with the back line and quickly switching play out to the other now wing back. And we would find ourselves in a lot of space getting forward because of kind of that work and quick ball movement that Buchalakis was doing and shielding the back line. So that was definitely a, a big standout thing. I don't know. I've got plenty of more thoughts. It just depends on what you guys yeah. uh, think. Yeah, so so I'm not going to lie. I only watched the first half of the game, and then I kind of was dis disheartened by what I watched. And as podcast listeners, you'll know my my opinion of John Van Schip and the Greek national team is not very high at the current moment after the last last crisis with uh, Silvas and the mess that has become, whether we're recalling Manola, Socrates, and uh, the other older players. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, one thing of note that I did like is it seemed like we were playing a three-man midfield at some times. And when we were out of possession, we were playing a 4-5-1. And Mandalos was actually playing in the three in the midfield. And I actually really think that's a good position for him. Chris, as an Ike fan, do you, can he play deeper like that? And have you ever seen him do that? And do you like him at that position? He plays as a number eight at times. And I think he can be a good creator, like passing around, distributing play. I think he can be really good at that because he, he's not fast. So you, you're not losing any speed. You're just dropping down a bit so you can let him create from deep. I think he can be, he can be good at that. But defensively, that's the, that's the concern there. He doesn't do a lot defensively. Yeah, and honestly, for me, Bandalos was a standout when he was in. I thought... I mean, it obviously wasn't like a perfect game by any means. I mean, Austria is always going to be tough. I think pretty much their whole midfield was bigger and stronger than he was. But Mandalos did a very good job of kind of when needed, when our two DMs would kind of get shifted over to take on the pressure because Austria's entire attack was kind of built on getting up the wings and then looking to get to the byline and putting crosses pretty standard because a lot of these players play in the Bundesliga. That's pretty standard attacking from... Uh, German teams and then German players. 
Um, but when those guys would get shifted over and then we would quickly try and kind of play our way out from through the keeper and across our back line, Mandalas did a really good job of reading that and dropping in alongside Bukalakis and Bukbelis who were stuck to the one side and kind of being that outlet. And then when we could quickly switch the field through the, him, he did a very good job of quickly pivoting, picking his head up, and then either taking the ball with him forward or looking for that pass to Fortunis or one of our other attacking players to get our team forward. So um, after however many games we've seen now with Bacasetas at the number 10, I was very pleased to watch how Mandalos was playing. It was The intent was there. He was looking to get the ball forward, get the attack, be a part of the attack, link up with our attacking players, and just make positive attacking plays happen. So for me, I don't I if depending on who's injured or who's in form, I'm okay with Fortunis or Mandalos at the number 10. I think both of them at this point with the Ethniki have proven that they can do a very good job, especially on the offensive end, which is what you'd expect your number 10 to do. I, I want to ask Chris something as a non-Olympiacos fan. How does he view John Vanship and how does he view the most recent Siovas crisis exiting out of the team? What, what do you see from that? Because I, would, I know that some people would claim that we're more biased because Siovas played for Olympiacos, of course, and we don't love John Van Schip because he went on Open TV, which is the Savidis channel, and announced this. So I, we, we've definitely seen those comments against Olympiacos support. So I, I, I kind of want to hear what you think about that whole situation. Yeah, look, um, we might have a slight difference of opinions here because <laughs> I, I really don't like Siovas to begin with. Like, I remember mm-hmm. in 20, 2015, um, when you guys beat us uh, 4-0, uh, the first season after we got relegated, we, got, we went promoted back to the Super League. And the, the reverse fixture, uh, Ajax at home, uh, we beat you guys 1-0. And uh, Siovas was showing the four fingers at us. That was a, not a good moment. <laughs> that was yeah. a pretty... Fair enough. Yeah. But I think the latest crisis has been characteristic of how Van Siep um, sees things. I mean, he did this with Manolas, he did this with uh, Socrates. Like, he, he doesn't accept people talking about the ethnic e on in the media in a bad way. So when Siovas came out and said what he said, it kind of, to me, it felt a bit wrong. To me, it felt like something that shouldn't be out in the press, being out in the press. I don't know how you guys feel about it. I'm inclined to agree with you. I mean, I know I'm pretty sure based on what we were messaging about that a lot of what Siovas actually said was taken out of context and just reading it on in a headline or in an article kind of took out some of the, I think, lightheartedness of how he said it to an extent. I mean, I could be wrong. Just that was kind of the vibe I got from uh, the guys talking about it in the group thread. But I I mean, I agree, especially like now reading through the book that Titonis, the, 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 our previous guest wrote and hearing about how important it was for the high guild to basically weed out the guys that were creating division, whether it be from the Greek league or from abroad and just get these guys united behind the ethnic E and turn them into one Greek national team, not players from a bunch of different Greek clubs or clubs abroad. At the end of the day, I think that's a good 
move. I just think I'm a little worried about the consistency and the, I guess, applying that mentality across the entire roster and across, I guess, every specific player. So I guess we'll see on that front how it goes. The way I see it, um, Strova sounded a bit angry. Mm. When he, when I read what he said, it sounded like someone who was doing a job that he didn't want to do, to me at least. That's fair. It sounded like when you, when you get put in a group project with people you don't want to be with, that's kind of what it sounded like, like bring me, my friends back. Yeah, that's what it seemed like when you read it. Yeah, it almost seems like uh, Manolas sent him out to, because they're very close friends, like almost like Manolas was like, I want back in now, I'm finally ready to come in. And he was like, okay, have a word uh, about me in, in the media almost. And I, I think Silvas didn't realize exactly the extent to what he was saying. Would Maybe he did, I don't know. But I, I think it was more like he, he's friends with Manolas, his friends is getting older now he's 30 31 it's maybe his last chance to play in the national team and and i think this is a one key point that that upsets me with the situation is um as you mentioned about rehago in 2004 again i was very young so i don't remember so much but he just cut the players you know he said you're out of the national team you're not even under consideration john van ship has kind of dragged these guys along socrates and manolas and samaris too who i don't rate at all i'm happy he's not in the squad but anyway he's kind of dragged these guys along and said they're still under consideration maybe in the future i wish he would just say okay you guys are done for your past antics and your behavior but he hasn't done that so that, that's my problem with it agreed yeah i think that's fair i think that's fair that being said do we have any final comments about the greece versus austria austria friendly for folks who watched um you know, I did not watch, unfortunately, and I know Lambro missed the second half, but man of the match, you know, coaches grade, stuff like that. Uh, I think it's a, considering how much changing there was and how many formation shifts and substitutions and it just being a friendly, I think it'd be pretty hard pressed to look at any one player and be like, that, yeah, guy, that guy got it done. That guy was the man of the match. Like, I mean, Fortuny set a beautiful goal, but I honestly, I, I don't, I mean, he, he's been a serviceable false nine, but for me, I don't want to see him playing there. I think it negatively impacts his game. For example, every time I think Austria had easily double digit corners this game and every time we would clear the ball, who, what are you expecting? You're expecting your big number nine to challenge for those cleared balls in the air. That's not Fortunis. He's not a number nine. He's not a guy that's going to use his physicality and his size to, to bring the ball down and regain possession for the team. And so for me, I thought he underperformed even with the really nice goal. But I think it wasn't a, so much him just purely underperforming. It's him being put in a position where we're not going to get the best Fortunis that we can and the best out of him. So right. I still think overall for playing out of position I thought he did well I think Limnios once again had a great game I thought Funtas that was a beautiful assist to him to Fortunis over the top after holding the guy off with some strength I I've liked what I've seen from him so far um I thought Buchalakis had spells of bad and then shaky and then really good and really solid and then he started growing into the game more and then Bam, Austria just hit us with 
two really quick plays going down the wing and then we get hammered. So there was a lot to learn from this game, but I don't think anyone did what they had to do to say, I'm the MVP, I'm, I'm the guy, so to speak. But and I guess in terms of coaching, in terms of that kind of a grade, for me, I wouldn't say I would grade Van Schip based on this game. There are definitely things I thought he did that were crazy, but for me, I'll chalk that up as a friendly for me. I will grade him on this game based on what he learns from it and then how he molds the team for the upcoming UEFA Nations League fixtures and how we play on those. I think that's much more important because this game was all kinds of chaos. And if we do really well and make some pretty significant changes based on this, then I'll say, you know what? He had a good game in the friendly because he did a lot of experimental things and learned a lot. But if he rolls pretty much the same exact crazy substitutions and formations that he did this game, then I'm going to say, well, this is what he thinks is the best for us. And in my opinion, that's not good enough. Yeah. And I think since you're really the only one, I think, who paid super close attention to the friendly, I guess a good idea would be, why don't we all just go around preview or give our the starting 11 we would like to see for the upcoming Nation Leagues game. Chris, do you have 11 players you would like to see uh, playing for the upcoming games? I know I'm putting you on the spot. Maybe tough to come up yeah. with an exact 11. Uh, I don't have 11 players, but I have one player that okay. I would, would... It's kind of off topic. Sorry for dragging you off topic. No, go ahead. Go but ahead. I would like to see um, our goalkeeper, the act goalkeeper, Panagiotis Tsidodas, in the national team, I think he has he's pretty good, and mm. I think he can give us a lot. I think it, it's a shame that he hasn't been called up yet because he has put up some good performances for our this season, saving two penalties, including the cup final. Yeah, I remember. Uh, he he's done well. Who would you drop out of the the few? Of course, possibly. Yeah, that's like the dropped. So it's difficult. It's that's the question. Is yeah, a fantastic keeper and. I don't know. It's tough, you know. It, that's the one position I think that's like it used to be central defense. Now it's yeah. Keeper. Maybe maybe do this because for Panathinaikos this season he has been a bit clumsy, but yeah, I don't know how he did today. Was he good? I'm not sure. Mi- to be mixed honest, bag. I, yeah, he but he he performed poorly the last game against. Was it Aris? They lost one 0 this weekend. He that's correct. The goal yeah. didn't yeah yeah he didn't do great. So maybe he is one to drop. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I'll, I'll throw 11 players out there. Um, I would go with uh, Vlachodimos uh, in goal. And then a right back, I don't know if Bakakis is available. Is he hurt? Do you know, Chris? Is Because he didn't play today. Is he available to play? Yeah, Bakakis is injured. And not only... Yeah, he's injured, but he's also very bad at football. Yeah, so. yep. I agree with that. <laughs> that will be, be another thing. But, but, but who would, who's better? The the new guy you guys have at Ike, the, the Greek guy, he's he's, only, he's 28, 27. He's not really a young prospect, but he's come in and done a decent job. Vasilantos. Vasilantos. Yeah. So, yeah, he has been good, but he's 28, and he's just started playing. He has never played for us before. He used to play for La Mia on loan and clubs yeah. like that. So, yeah. We don't have so, any right backs. Yeah, yeah so I guess right back, we're going to go... I, I don't know who we're going to go there. <laughs> I'll just leave that as a blank. Um, 
we have the the guy Rota, who I guess is a younger player who plays in Holland. He could play maybe. Rota, and I and, think um, where does Chatsi Diakos play? Is he also a right back? Yeah, He's been he, called up. Chatsi Diakos plays uh, center back. Center back. For, center back. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if he's ready to play because he had the knee injury, but I guess my back line would be uh, Svarnas has been pretty stable. Then I would put Siovas. Oh, no, can't put him. Uh, <laughs> Mihalidis, I guess I would play. I, I, like, I think he's all right. At left, I think Janulis is available. Chimikas, obviously not. In the midfield, I would probably go with Kurbelis and Zeka. And then Limnios, Fortunis... Funtas and Pavlidis would probably be my 11, I think, for the next game. I will say, I think pretty much the same as Lambro. I will make one change. I want to see Tsolis in the team, uh, maybe above Funtas, and then Funtas can come on as a sub, uh, put Tsolis on the left wing where his natural position is. I want to see him in a real game in a friendly. I also do want to see Mikaridis, as you said. And I think at this point, we kind of just have to give Rota a try and see what he can do. He's playing in the first division of Netherlands. How bad can it be? He's a young player. He can attack. So I just kind of want to see him at this point. I mean, they've been doing a lot of experimentation and hopefully, you know, he works out. We don't really have that many other options. So it's a good time to give him some run, see what he can do. And for the midfield, yeah, I think that's probably the best. Maybe Montado in the 10 instead. Um, I think as we talked about, I'm okay with either him or Fortunis in that role. But as Vimo said, Fortuny says the false nine, I don't really think takes full advantage of his capabilities as a player. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, so the good thing is, it's definitely, as a team right now, we've got a lot of options in a lot of different positions. Um, Kiriakopoulos in this friendly, I think he was very serviceable as both a left back and as a center midfielder. And then back as a left back again after I think Liko Yanis came on and got injured after 10 minutes. But yeah, so just looking at who we're playing in the Nations League with Moldova and Kosovo, those aren't big name nations in terms of the footballing world that we should be intimidated by. So I think the back line is pretty much what Lambro and Peter said. I'm pretty much okay with having a back line full of these kind of younger guys and like Svaranas who looks good going forward and then uh, Janulis, which on a good day, he's he's a, a fair match, in my opinion, with um, Simikas at that left back. Position. Just the question of, are we going to see that full throttle Janulis? Um, but for the midfield, I thought today it was kind of weird that we were playing these kind of both not super solid defensive guys in Bukhalakis and Kurbelis, but against the likes of Moldova and Kosovo, I think it probably benefits us to have kind of less defensive, maybe more attacking guys than, say, Zeka. I mean, Zeka's great for a team against, like, when we're playing teams that are stronger than us, like Austria or, um, heaven forbid, in the next competitions, these big giants that we, of like, Italy or Spain. But against smaller sides, I think Zeka almost can hold us back to an extent in terms of unlocking these teams. So, for me, I'd be cool to see Wuchalakis and Corbelis again. And, of course, if anyone's tired, rotate them. Let's get some fresh legs. But then going to the attacking four at, at the number 10, I'm agreed with Peter and probably Chris. I'm more than happy to see Mandalos play there again. For me, yeah, like I said before, 
as long as I don't see Bacasetas there, I'm pretty much cool. Give me Mantelos, give me Fortunis in the hole. Have those guys that have that attacking impetus and every time they receive the ball are looking to link up with the wingers and the strikers and get the ball forward and not always receiving the ball with the back to goal, just trying to play it back to the midfield and stunting our shift up the field as a team. At the wings, Limnios is just completely taking ownership of that right wing spot. I hope he continues to do that. And then Zolis at right wing, he kind of was a little shaky when he first got on today, but I think in the few minutes he played, as it kind of he kind of got settled, he started having pretty decent looks. But I also know that he played right wing today, but he's naturally a left wing for Pauk. If that's the case, then I don't understand why we're not giving him a look out on left wing. I mean, Funtas did well too. I think he's more than earned time there as well. But we've got two games coming up, and watching Zolis in these European qualifiers, I think he's shown a lot of creativity and ingenuity and just things to unlock smaller sides. So I don't see why we don't give him more minutes, even after this game where it was limited and he had a bit of a mixed bag, especially when he came onto the field. And then, yeah, top, I'd I'd rather not see Fortunis. I obviously always want to see him on the field, but if we're going to have Mandalos on the field or heaven forbid, Bacasetas, I don't, kind of prefer to not have Fortunis starting at the, at the number nine. It's not his role. It's not his natural position. Play Kuluris there, even play Funtas there. I know he's, he's not a true number nine, but he's at least like a, a striker to an extent or even a second striker and can kind of probably has a better feel for that role and is, has more pace than Fortunis to kind of attack the near post and the far post when we're getting to the byline and putting in crosses. So... Give me Kuluris, give me Puntas, give me a real, actual number nine striker up there. And just give me guys at their natural positions, and I'm happy. And we should be able to put these teams away and progress and hopefully move on to do big things in Group C of the Nations League. Yeah, we got to hope for the best there. Theoretically, Greece should be beating all these teams, and we'll have to see what happens this weekend. That being said, I think that's about all we have for you today. Uh, Chris, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And while you're here, uh, please let us know, is there anywhere that we can follow you, follow you on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram? I know you're on Reddit at Mesardic. I think is Twitter the same uh, handle? Yeah, with a two. It's Mesardic too. Okay, great. All right. I have the Reddit, the subreddit, r slash quickfoody, and the iCathin subreddit, which is Ready.com slash r slash FC. You could join that, join the discussion there. Awesome. Reddit, I think, is a nice place to share opinions. And, and obviously, you find a lot of cool stuff like the coefficient report. So we thank you once again for continuing to work hard on that. And we hope that uh, we continue to see that stuff as the Europa League and Champions League group stages continue. And we like to thank you once again for coming on. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And we really enjoyed having your analysis on Ike and Europe and all of this great stuff. That being said, to everyone who's listening, we'd like to thank you for listening, especially if you've made it this far. We're coming to you from, I think, four different countries. I think Chris might actually be our first guest who is actually coming to us from Greece as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, so that's, 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 that's kind of there. Uh, we've had some folks from elsewhere in Europe, but yeah, I think you're our first guest based in Greece, so... I'm sure you're enjoying that a lot more than, than I'm enjoying Canada right now. So 
uh, enjoy that. And uh, thank you all for listening and we will see you very soon.